Today by Ben Blissett. Hello. Rory Taylor. Hello. And Zach Michaelis. Hello, hello, hello. How are you all doing? Very good. Good. Yes. Really yes. well. Whoa. Wow. Last time, I think someone pointed out that we all just say good when you say how are you doing. We all just go good, good, yeah. good. So, so you're trying to sound more sincere really this time. Really well. And yeah. the fact you flagged it <laughs> seems yeah. even more genuine. I want credit for that person. It's not person. very British to actually give like an action. Yeah, we should say not, not bad, Asian, really. Not bad. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. Anyway, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing upcoming by-elections and the Conservatives' prospects at general elections more generally. We're going to be running through a bunch of underreported stories, and we're also going to be adding to our rundown of the best and worst leaders with our wins and fails for the week for major world leaders. So stick around to the end of the episode to see where different world leaders rank. Before we get to that, though, let's get to underreported stories, where each of our team have brought a story they think isn't being discussed enough that they want to say something about. Zach, do you want to start at that end? Oh, yeah, I don't know if it necessarily counts as underreported. I hope it does, because it only just come out today, so it okay. depends how much reporting gets done on it. But the comments made by UK Foreign Minister James Cleverly are ye China. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think are very, very interesting, because <clears throat> we talked a little bit about a couple of weeks ago about what Sunak's foreign policy, specifically his China policy, was going to be. Mm-hmm. And Cleverly's made some pretty, I mean, for lack of a better term, dovish comments. So he was talking up the virtues of diplomacy. And I think the quote on the BBC headline is that he said um, decoupling or sort of disengaging with China is, is not credible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's interesting for a couple of reasons. First thing, it's interesting about what it says about the balance of power within the Conservative Party. It suggests that maybe the more moderate foreign policy dudes are having more influence over yeah. Sunak. Uh, I think it's also interesting because it suggests that we're not just going to toe the American line on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of like the foreign policy orientation under Johnson and Truss. It was just sort of like, we're going to move away from Europe towards America. Yeah. And the final reason I think it's interesting is because it's a symptom of this more general softening uh, that was sort of led by the EU, but has also been towed by the Americans on China. So mm-hmm. I think everyone has started, stopped using the language of decoupling yeah. and they, they prefer the language of de-risking now. But I think even then uh, people are sort of like realizing that de-risking is probably harder than we first imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, And I would like to think that's because we've realized that we can't solve the world's biggest problems like climate change, for example, without China. But I think it's mainly because people are less intimidated by a sort of economically stagnant China. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's especially true of the Americans. Nice. Ben, you also have a story from the UK. What's your underreported story? I do. Um, Mine's, uh, as you would expect, a bit more domestic. Um, So the uh, severance pay for MPs is being doubled at the next election. Wow. Now, the reason I do think that this is um, worth talking about is that, and I know that, I don't know who here, but certainly at least two of you Mm. have read um, Why We Get the Wrong Politicians, and there's a whole whole thing in that about MPs and mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, how tricky it actually is stepping down and how difficult it is getting back into the workforce as an MP. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's genuinely a bit of a problem. So they're doubling the severance from two to four months and also extending who qualifies for it. Previously, only MPs who lost their seats at an election could qualify for extra mm-hmm. pay. Um, or if they stood down at a snap election, they'd also qualify. But the rules have now changed that all MPs standing down mm. will qualify and this, for the this payment. And this includes their staff as well, doesn't <clears throat> it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was met by a bit of cynicism, wasn't it, by some media commentators? It was, and I think it's the the classic sort of assumption that MPs have an easy gig and they get paid tons and they don't do any work 
and they step down and get massive jobs. And that characterization, just if you look into it a little bit more, isn't entirely true. Um, and especially losing elections is quite tricky for MPs uh, most yeah. of the time. So there can be a lot of Conservative MPs yeah. losing. losing elections. Next so probably will be. Yeah. Yeah. Themselves in a few months. Yeah. Maybe. In kind of just a little poll of the of the team. Do we sure. think do we think MPs should be paid more? Oh, this is contentious. Yeah. So who says yes? I say yes. I think MPs should be paid sort of Singapore levels. I'm, I'm super keen on <laughs> How that. much does Singapore pay? It's about a million for a cabinet minister. A million yeah. pounds? I think they have like the highest yeah. paid head of state. I think a million is too far, <laughs> but they should be paid more. Yeah. I'm sort of happy at the current level. I'd be fine for it to go up a bit. I think it's fine. Yeah, I, think, I think there are other ways you can improve the, the, the kind of job satisfaction mm. without just increasing pay, but, you know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Any, any intuitions? I said more. Oh, you Slightly said more? more. Slightly okay. more, but not Singapore more. Okay, fair enough. Um, Rory, yes. your underreported story. So mine, uh, it came out in a German newspaper that the EU is apparently planning a new um, military civilian mission in West Africa, so mm. in the Gulf of Guinea, so which is the coastal West African states. Um, this kind of comes after the EU, and France in particular, has taken a bit of a battering in West Africa recently because of all the coups mm-hmm. and kind of turning against France and its presence there. Um, the interesting thing about this is that the EU does have missions in inland, landlocked um, West African states, yeah. and they've kind of been kicked out or asked to withdraw from some of them. And this kind of represents them shifting their focus to the coastal states, which generally are kind of wealthier and less insecure than the ones kind of further north. Um, but they are starting to see the kind of uh, insurgency um, insurgencies from like Al Qaeda mm-hmm. and ISIS linked groups bleed over their borders into these coastal states. So I think this is the EU kind of taking a step back from those landlocked West African states and, and trying to like secure the um, the coastal states against you know the wave of coups and insecurity that the regions had. Interesting. And a topic that was discussed in the daily discussion yes. today. Coups. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, exclusively on Nebula, you should be watching it. <laughs> That's a very good unimportant story. Thank you. So to be fair to yeah. me, yeah, yeah. You. Always look smart when you do like German newspapers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. just dw.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, let's move to the main story then. Our main story we want to discuss today is upcoming by-election and also the Tories more generally and their electoral prospects across the board. Do you want to start with the by-election though? Does that make sense? Sure. Does someone give us an outline of what's happening with the by-election, why it's happening, and what the expected results are? So um, this is a by-election in mid-Bedfordshire, so it had been um, predicted for a little while because mm-hmm. Nadine Dorries... Uh, very... Hasn't turned up for work in a bit. No, she she said that she'd stand down for because she wasn't given this uh, period that she, she, was, mm-hmm. she was promised. Lots of different complicated reasons, but in essence, she just feels that um, Rishi Sunak sort of stabbed her and Boris Johnson in the back a little yeah. bit. Um, she said she'd resign a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and she hasn't. And in the time, um, in those two months, she hasn't turned up. She hasn't done. Um, yes, yeah, she hasn't spoken in the Commons. She's not really been present, but she's still been being paid and everything. Uh, she's, not enough, though. She's <laughs> should be earning millions for not turning up. Come off, there. Um, but the other day, she said, yes, I'm going to be sort of resigning now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll take my four-month severance. Yeah, exactly. Weirdly, right as the rules yeah. changed. But anyway, she said she'd be, um, she said she'd be standing down. Yeah. Uh, so now there is going to be a by-election in mid-Bedfordshire. And the interesting thing here is 
that um, the Lib Dems and Labour are relatively similar polling. I think Labour have, mm -hmm. were closer in the last election and have been the second party in the constituency in the last three elections. Yeah. Um, but the Lib Dems are not far behind and neither were pulling out, which has led to some speculation that there's going to be vote splitting on the mm. left, which could just gift the Tories to seat. Yeah. The other interesting thing to note about Nadine Dorries' resignation is that in her act, well, her second announcement where she actually resigned, mm -hmm. she did it in the Daily Mail and it was this kind of very long, like excoriating letter attacking Rishi Sunak yeah. and his government. Um, apparently, uh, he saw it first in the newspaper. So well, wow. she wrote it as a letter, dear Prime Minister, but didn't actually send it to him. It was just put in the Daily newspaper. Mail. Yeah, so pretty tough on him. But um, yeah, she really, really went in hard attacking him, okay. um, which... I guess could damage the Conservatives in the by-election, but yeah. if people are already not a fan of Nadine Dorries, then yeah, who, do they take Rishi yeah. Sunak's side? I don't know. She, she also did an interview, I think with the Daily Mail, like a recorded interview, mm. and you, um, they she uploaded it. She wanted to talk to me as well. Um, yeah, she did. But in the, I think it was, it was either the Daily Mail sure. or something, I think it was the Daily Mail, but in that interview, um, she was asked about the the, the, the um, criticism that's been made of her for not turning up. And she mm. said, oh, well, I think it's completely unfair. I've got caseworkers that are still doing all my constituency work, <laughs> um, which was her sort of defence. Yeah, I love that. Um, Other people are doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is just ridiculous. I'm so looking forward to using that at some point. <laughs> I'm not on holiday. Everyone else is doing my work yeah. for me. <laughs> well, not only that, but she was, the, the exact question she was asked was, do you not feel bad that your constituents haven't had representation? And she said, no, no, my constituents, the casework's being done. It's like, that's not representation. Yeah. No, that's You're meant to be in the Commons representing them on national uh, issues, yeah. which you weren't doing. And apparently her kind of failure to show up that much in the House of Commons dates back before mm. her first resignation statement. Um, and it's like been an ongoing issue, but I don't know if that's just what she became disillusioned after Boris Johnson fell and decided that. And she also that just went into the jungle for a bit, kind of controversially. Her, yeah, back in the day. her accountability to turning up doesn't seem yeah. all that strong. I mean, yeah. North Bedfordshire isn't even that far away, surely. Where what, what's Mid, in North Bedfordshire? What's in yeah. Bedfordshire? Any big towns? Well, it's kind of a semi-rural constituency with some small towns, you know. So yeah. There's Near Luton, there. right? There's people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no big You towns. could commute easily. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. It feels very much like, and I'm sort of giving away my prediction here, but it feels very much like a Lib Dem win to me. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a leafy, yeah. sort of traditionally Tory seat, sort of, you know, sub, not suburbs is too, too strong, but like in the South. Yeah. yeah. And a Tory MP resigns, sort of in disgrace, at least in scandal. Mm -hmm. That feels like a classic Lib Dem yeah. win to me, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, we're not doing predictions yet. I'm not, I'm. I just think the votes. I think we can. Is... We might let's do predictions for yeah. for now, yeah. because then we can move on to what this says about the Tories mm. more generally. So predictions, yeah. So lock them in. Well, this this feels like a classic Lib Dem win to me because you've got sort of like a it's a leafy but traditionally Tory seat in the mm -hmm. south, and you've got a Tory MP resigning. You know, if not in disgrace, at least in scandal. Yeah. Um, and that feels that feels like a, a Lib Dem win to me. I'm sympathetic to the point about the vote being split, but so far in by elections, the sort of anti-Tory vote has coalesced around one party, and even though Labour might be fighting it, I do think it will coalesce around the Lib Dems. Rory, I. I think I disagree. Uh, I'm not. I'm not certain on my prediction, okay. but I am going to say this one anyway. I think the Conservatives might just clinch it mm -hmm. because uh, I think they can afford to lose a lot of votes even if Labour and the Lib Dems are fairly evenly split. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be what happens. I'm. I'm with Rory. I. I think that the, yes. the Tories will hold. I think of the recent by-election, I think Mid Bedfordshire is one of the easier ones for them to hold. Mm -hmm. um, the Tories had like a 24,000 vote majority mm -hmm. in the last election. Labour won 
14,000. So, and Labour has come first the previous three. So Labour can, in all of their campaign leaflets and everything, say we're the second party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Lib Dems are going to do what the Lib Dems do and go all in on a you know the ground campaign. And I think that they're really going to take away from each other. And yeah. I think that's just going to split so badly. Plus, you, plus, as I say, like with it's not like a slim majority. It's twenty four thousand yeah, votes. Yeah, you've got sixty percent of the vote in twenty nineteen. So quite a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to lose there. Um, who who do we actually think is the kind of legitimate uh, challenger in this seat? I mean, I, in my view, Lib Dems and Labour both have a fair argument to make. Labour have the strongest argument. They they were the second party last time in, by about four thousand votes ahead of the Lib Dems, and were the second party in the last three. That is true. Mm-hmm. However, I raise you this. Okay. Tiverton and Honiton oh. and North Shropshire, oh, two by elections <laughs> that the Lib Dems came from third place to win. <laughs> That's why I think it's absolutely. Uh, I think legitimacy is sort of by the by. I just more think it's about who has a better ground game and Mm, then sort of establishes themselves as first place. And I I do think that the Lib Dems just do have a better ground game. The the Labour haven't actually done that well in by elections. It's worth remembering recently. Mm. They've won one of the last four and they lost that one that they weren't expected to. Yeah, but I think you you have many that they've been. Ulez comes into that Big loss, in. and this isn't, that's not relevant here either. Like, I think there'd been certain yeah, local they factors. Still, of course, but they still underperformed. So I, I yeah. still, I do think, it, my money is on the Lib Dems. I appreciate what you say, although uh, if the Tories win, it's going to be so boring. They're like, the, the, the commentariat response mm. about how, like, does this mean like a secret bounce back for Rishi Yeah, I, I know. I agree um, with you on that. I'm not yeah. looking forward and to that. This expectation setting as well is exactly what, the like, mm. saying that the Tories are... Um, you know they they're going to lose. It's they're obviously going to lose, and when they win and have such a massively reduced majority, they they always mm. spin that as look how fantastically we're doing. We're yeah. on track to win the next. It's like you and this uh, it will make people question whether a sp- kind of split vote between Labour and Lib Dems could let the Tories win mm-hmm. next year. But I think this is one case that's very very rare. Like there's not many constituencies where Labour and Lib Dems are competing. Yeah, um, this so this is you know this is a rare event. But the fact that we're talking about a conservative seat where they won 60% of the vote last time that they even could lose it mm-hmm. or they, they could lose it to one to two different parties. Yeah. You know, that suggests that the Tories shouldn't take Especially anything Especially as Zach says, a traditionally safe seat. The yeah, small towns. Small towns. I've heard, I'm hearing in my ear yeah. the <laughs> biggest town in the constituency is Flitwick with a population of 13,000 people. I think so, it's Flitwick. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pronounced Flitwick. Yeah. <laughs> the person in my ear said it wrong. Yeah. Bad pronunciation. Oh. Um, Great but yeah, so. no, you're right. Considering the constituency, it's an it's a worry for them. What do we think mm. that this says? So, Zach still thinks they're going to win. You guys think that they won't win. Did you clarify the, which party? No, sorry, Lib Dems. I think the Lib Dems, those two think the Conservatives are going to win. Mm. Apologies, yeah. wrong yeah. way around. But regardless of who exactly wins, I'm interested like what you think this means for the Tories going forward more generally. We've seen a chipping away of their majority through by-elections mm. throughout most of this year. What does this tell us, if anything? Or does it tell us nothing? And it's just, as Zach says, kind of another just a boring piece about what this tells us and the answer's not much. I think it confirms that they're basically fucked okay. for the next election. Um, they the, the latest polling shows a ever so slight reduction in the lead Mm -hmm. for Labour. So it's dropped back down. The latest Retfield-Wilton polling put them on 16-point lead. Mm -hmm. So a few weeks ago, that was in the low 20s, I think. But it sort of... um, Goes up and you know, down a bit. yeah, it mm-hmm. sort of oscillates between mid mid tens and early early twenties. So it's yeah. not it's not 
it's it's not showing a, a, a steady decline or anything. It's sure. just oscillating. So I, I think it just shows that the Labour majority is still still holding. The um, by-elections are so slightly different for various factors. Lib Dems mm. always have a good game, so mm. uh, they could come and take the seat. That doesn't take away from the fact that Labour are almost certainly going to win the next general election. Yeah. And it also shows, as Rory pointed out, that they're seriously at risk in seats where they've got in excess of 20,000 vote majorities to two separate parties. Mm -hmm. It's not a good look for a, an incumbent government yeah. facing a general election next year. Right. I, I, Do you agree? I agree with Ben, yeah. I concur. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Ben. I think it's obviously always worth remembering quite how far our Overton window has shifted here. Yes. And um, we're now describing losing a 40-point majority is, or like maintain, keeping a 40-point majority is like a success mm. for the Conservatives. I mean, it really does go to show quite how like down in the dumps they are. Mm -hmm. You know, in normal times, you should just, you should expect to win this and yeah. keep this if you're a Conservative. Like, yeah. You should not be losing or even coming close to losing a 24,000-seat majority. Yeah. The only two things I think we'd look out for is one, tactical voting. We look out for these northern by-elections, but you know people have been doing more and more tactical voting over time in the last couple of general elections and by-elections. Yeah. And if that trend continues, that will bode really badly um, for the Conservatives. The last thing that I think is interesting is if if I'm right and and Labour and the Lib Dems do win, I'd just be like keep an eye on the Labour vote mm -hmm. um, because I think. Sure, the poll numbers do look very good for Labour at the moment, but that's in part inflated by the fact that lots of people just put don't know on polls, mm -hmm. and there's a there's a general sense of apathy. And Ben's doing a video on this at the moment about like the fact there isn't that much ideological space at the moment. It at least mm -hmm. feel like there is between Labour and the Tories. And if sure the Lib Dems win as a sort of like protest sort yeah. of local campaign thing, yeah, fine, it's bad news for the Tories. But I would keep an eye on Labour and just see like how bad their numbers are mm -hmm. there because it will tell you something about like whether or not there is real enthusiasm yeah. uh, about a Labour government uh, in the country. I do want to just add to that as well is um, that, that Labour are obviously ahead at the minute mm -hmm. and as I say their the poll numbers are sort of oscillating to mid-10s early 20s but in the next few months I would expect them to face a few more challenges that, that could shift that polling slightly. Mm -hmm. So I think today we saw about 20 MPs suggesting that they're uh, not that happy at all with Starmer's um, to uh, maintaining the Tories' uh, two-child benefit cap. Mm -hmm. um, so, and uh, as we were saying about ideological space, you know, mm -hmm. that's maintaining a Tory policy and there's Labour backbenchers that aren't mm -hmm. all too happy with that. And I think that as time goes on, Labour going to have to come out with some kind of policies for the next election. Yeah. And I would suspect that Starmer's approach is going to be main, trying to show that they're uh, their uh, realistic prospect for government. I think yeah. that's the approach he's going to take, which I think will go down well with some voters, but some are just going to view it as Tory light, mm -hmm. and yeah. certainly Labour MPs are going to have a bit of a bad reaction to that. Yeah. And I think that, that that risks shifting this polling downwards for him. So I think that at the minute, it's quite easy for him because we're not that close to an election. Mm -hmm. He can stay quiet, let the Tories tear themselves apart, yeah. let that polling um, be, be what it is at the minute. But at some point between now and the next election, he's going to have to come out with some policies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Those policies are almost certainly going to be um, more maintaining the status quo than previous Labour governments have mm -hmm. been. And I think that that's when you're going to get kickback yeah. and that's when you're risking that yeah. lead. So uh, I would just say that if the situation looks good now. I still think Labour's in for quite a big victory next year, but I would just say it's probably a bumpy road ahead yeah. for them. Mm. I just realised with our three predictions for mid-Bedfordshire, we could all be wrong if Labour do win by-election. <laughs> I'm predicting Labour win, okay. just to balance you take it out. That, but I'm sure. only predicting it if it happens. Okay. Otherwise, <laughs> okay. just to round Otherwise, it off. Otherwise, go but... back and cut this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
Um, yeah, I was just saying, the last thing on that, I think Ben's, Ben's entirely right. Uh, but the, it could be that they're holding back their big policies before yeah. we get into campaign mode. Um, but I do think it's like, it's a, Tony Blair, I think, is a good like test case. And Keir Starmer is clearly like, modelling is too strong a word, but like he's clearly budding up to Tony Blair and trying mm. to take inspiration from Tony Blair. They did a, like a, a little joint speech slash conference thing a couple mm. of weeks ago. And it's clear there's a lot of overlap between Starmer's team and the Tony Blair Institute yeah. and Tony Blair's team. And I think that the difference here is that Starmer can appeal to the electorate on questions of competence mm-hmm. and he can you know, paint the Tories as incompetent in much the same way that Tony Blair sort of did. But Tony Blair also had a little bit of radical in mm-hmm. it. Like it, it, yeah. wasn't, it was competence and change. Yeah. And Starmer, fair enough, has the edge on competence. Yeah. But I think he has to provide something to the electorate in terms of change, in yeah. terms of like feeling a little bit radical. Um, just I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug it, someone else's podcast here, which is, <laughs> which is controversial. But there's a really good podcast on this um, called These Times uh, with uh, an academic called Helen Thompson, who does a whole thing on it. But it's yeah, um, I think there are reasons to be skeptical that like Starmer even has the space to do anything radical. Yeah, I think that the the UK is more constrained by the world than it was in the days of Blair. That's mm. just too fucking grandiose. But, you know, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's accurate. Yeah, yeah, I think it is accurate. Um, and so, yeah, well, I, I think there are reasons to be, think that it's going to be very difficult for Starmer or whoever succeeds the Tories. But I do think he has to nonetheless offer something more than just competence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's enough to give him the sort of stonking great majority. I think the, the, I, 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 it's hard to quantify, but I just think the feeling is so different. You know, Blair was coming in just before the new millennium with all kind of new technologies, this feeling of like optimism and change and all this. Whereas at the minute, it's just we're out of a pandemic. There's cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. It's kind Ooh. of a, just a depressing feeling yeah. generally. Um, so, it, you know, Model, you can't really model on Blair because the, the time is so different. But I, I agree with you that. Yeah, and also, just Blair just had far more economic space. Yeah, than exactly. Starmer does. You know, Blair inherited two percent growth, annual growth. We don't have that anymore, um, and a, you know, younger population mm-hmm. and an easier interest rate environment. And without those conditions, like things are pretty difficult. I think there's a symptom of quite how difficult things are is the fact that a lot of the policies that Starmer is flirting with are just Blair era policies. Mm-hmm. So like ID cards, you hear a little bit of chatter in like Labour circles about ID cards. I mean, that literally is like mm-hmm. a late 90s Tony Blair yeah. policy. Um, and the fact that we haven't come up with anything new is a little bit, is a little bit miserable. I think the, the other reason that I think that we're struggling is because the, this is nothing, now we're just smashing Labour, but I think Starmer and co are too focused uh, on, or too keen to emulate the Americans, mm-hmm. and they forget that we're just not America. You yeah. know, like that sort of worked in the Blair era because there were certain things you could do to mimic, uh, like the Clinton administration. Um, but like industrial policy is a great example. Like the defining project of the Democrats, the sort of like the bit of radicalism that Democrats can offer is like the Green New Deal, mm-hmm. and it's about like bringing industry back to America and like it's sort of green industry and we're mm-hmm. going to give high paid jobs back and all that. And we're going to subsidize um, all of these like industry companies to make sure they do their stuff on our shores. We just can't do that. We don't have the fiscal firepower. We don't have the money. We don't have like the dollars of world reserve currency. And also that's a zero sum game. You know, we can't all do mm-hmm. green new deals. We can't all do heavy industry. And so I feel like when we talk the language of green new deal, it just feels futile, a little bit empty. And you see that because it bumps up against the economic realities. And that's why yeah. Starmer pulled back on that climate thing he had mm. and said he would delay it for two years because he didn't have the money yeah so i think that there's that there's there's a couple of reasons why i think that like starmer is running out of ideas and i think that he would be better served looking at places like as boring but looking at places like europe and mm. maybe like places like france for like new ideas to energize so mean the to left. france 
yeah, negging yeah. France. We would never, yeah, we never. France would not traditionally be our sort of like political inspiration. Sure. But I think that the difference between America and the UK is too great right now for us to even look at America. Okay. And I mean, Starm, well, Starmer, Rachel Reeves, the whole Labour team, they've, they've, you know, they might be holding off on policies, but they've set out their fiscal rules they're going to follow, and they're mm-hmm. they're very constrained by those their own rules that they've set themselves. Um, so even if they did want to emulate Biden yeah. in America, he, you know. The, the American government has spent a huge amount of money, put a huge amount of money into the American economy, and that's not possible under the rules that Starmer's team have set, set themselves. Yeah. Also, the, the policies that, that they're saying that they're going to maintain from the Tories to try mm. and make themselves look credible are just unpopular policies. When Blair did that about privatisation stuff, um, saying that we're not going to renationalise things, mm. like there was a section of the population that were just quite happy with the fact that we're privatised, and it, yeah. it, it, sort of, it looked sensible at the time, whereas... You know, with the the two, the two child benefit cap, like it's not a but interesting vote two winner. child benefit cap. It's not one of a vote winner, but it actually is popular. Most people don't. Most people think it should be capped. But mm. I suppose it's the firstly, he doesn't need to say that this far out. And if you want to try and make yourself look economically credible, there are presumably other policies that won't provoke the same media backlash mm. as that one will. Yeah, I'm not saying it's but, optimum, but it is multi conservative and safe because most people do actually still think that the two child benefit cap should be in place. But people I, are generally quite anti welfare. I mm. think that. The interesting thing with Starmer is that, that he, that ha- at least I haven't noticed a single issue where he has kind of stuck his neck out to defend a policy mm. that he knows knows is unpopular but mm-hmm. thinks is the right thing. So, you know, Blair's government scrapped Section 28, which was a massive deal. Yeah. Um, Starmer has kind of not kind of been at the forefront of any fights on whether it's, you know, trans rights or, um, I mean, that, that's the, the main example yeah. I'm thinking of. But um, uh, and, and I think that's why... Uh, the example of ULEZ in London where Sadiq Khan is fully backed it and he keeps defending it kind of comes as, as a surprise because it's a reminder that a Labour politician can actually keep defending and championing their, popul- their policy that might be seen as unpopular mm-hmm. because we've kind of got used to Starmer not doing yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we'll okay. see what happens ahead of the election. But, let's draw yeah. a line under it for now. Yeah. We can come back to this another week. For now, though, let's keep an eye on the by-election. Yeah. Be interested to see the results. We'll see mm-hmm. who's right. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, that will obviously play into strategy on a broader level and kind of opinion on a broader level when it comes to elections. I'm assuming then we've got our predictions out of our system, right? No more predictions? Yeah, yeah predicted yeah, out. Good. Sweet. Predicted out. Everyone's predicted. Okay, great. In which case, let's go straight to the TLDR World Leaderboard to find out who our winners and losers of the week are. So... Let's close today by doing our TLDR World Ranking Leaderboard. We don't have a title for it, but that's what we're calling it today. Um, This is where each week we take a world leader that we think has done well or badly in the week and adjust their position on our leaderboard. Um, If you're listening along, um, currently we have Modi, Biden and... Pedro, what's his surname? Sanchez. Sanchez. I thought it was. But it from like... last week, though, yeah. These are, these are the guys who are up from last these week. These are all the people that uh, did well last week. Yeah. And then the people who did badly last week um, were... DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, <laughs> Putin, and Prince... William. William. <laughs> you <laughs> not know that. You what? Not I don't know, know the Prince royals. Oh, but you yeah, but I would have thought... You all jumped in. I, I, I was just pausing. I got <laughs> They all did badly last week. So this week... Can we put the, Jack there? Yeah. No. Yeah. This That's week... Fun, actually. We should pop. That's good. Go this up. week, 
each of our team get to add one person to the list or move one person around. Um, if they're moving, they only get to move one position up or down. If they're adding, they have to add in the middle two sections, either slightly good or slightly bad. Let's start with Rory. Oh, Who is oh. your winner of the week? My winner of the week. Yes. I'm worried it might be slightly controversial. Okay. And I want to make clear that this isn't, a, you know, this isn't about personal approval of any of these people. Oh, no. However, I'm going to move Vladimir Putin <laughs> up, <laughs> up oh. one space. Oh, he's in I the swear. winners. Yeah. The, the thing move, is, can you move up? I swear no. last week we said, why have we even put Putin on that? He's just going to go do down. Yeah, yeah, if I you do don't mind, thank you. Oh, it's um, getting messy now with the blue tack. Um, anyway, while you're doing that, I'll defend my yeah. horrific uh, decision. It, it basically comes down to the Progosian thing, and this is quite a brutal, uh, yeah, violent uh, thing, but one of Vladimir Putin's uh, rivals, if we can call him that, sure. the man who led a, a brief mutiny against him, died in suspicious, uh, circumstances. suspicious circumstances last week. Um, yeah, Progosian, the head of the Wagner group, um, he is no longer... Arguably, is no longer a threat to Putin. There was a question of will the Wagner group. What do you mean, group. arguably? Well, there was a question of, well, I mean, there was a question of whether the Wagner group would, you know, I you see. know kick into gear and yeah. take on Putin again because of it. But that doesn't seem to have happened. And if it hasn't happened immediately after, I don't think it will happen now. I sure. think if Putin was behind it, he's got away with it. Mm -hmm. And if he wasn't, he's lost a rival. So I think he's all in all had a good week. Fair we enough. are now in a situation where Prince William has had a worse time than a yes. guy losing a war. All because he didn't go to a football match. <laughs> yeah. uh, ben, who's your winner of the week? Mine is Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, Republican uh, presidential candidate. And this is because of his performance in the presidential debate last week, mm -hmm. uh, which I know was Thursday last week, so I don't know whether this counts as Just about, last week, yeah. but I think I'm going to at least argue. Since we last spoke. Mm. Um, I think, you know, before that debate, uh, Ron DeSantis was predicted as sort of the, the second candidate to Trump, whereas um, Vivek had quite a good uh, mm -hmm. performance in the debate, and it's all about momentum at this stage, and he yeah. seems to be the one with momentum. We've so. now got two candidates on the board. We do. Why Trump. did Ron go up last week? Ron went down. Ron went Why down. did Ron go down last week? Why did he go up on the board? I think it was... Oh, it was because there was the debate happening and Trump was being arrested, so it made it look like okay. yeah. he, he had all the spotlights. We've done away. the debate twice. And we yeah. have basically done the debate I twice. Love yeah. it. Well, That's all right. I mean, you both win. key figures are now marked. Yeah. Um, Zach, yeah. who's your winner of the week? Oh, I've got win of the week first, have yes. I? My win of the week, and this was sort of mentioned a second ago, is I'm Sadiq Khan. Oh, yeah, oh. that'd be great. Congratulations. Well, ah. I think my win of the week is Sadiq Khan because... While Ulez has definitely been controversial, uh, he has resisted pressure from both the Tories and the Labour leadership mm -hmm. who are pushing him to push it, to, to scrap the idea. Yeah. And uh, he's forced it through. I think there's been some concessions on a different scheme, the zero emission scheme. Um, but he's forced it through and history suggests that whenever the mayor election comes around in a couple of years' time, mm -hmm. people won't use it as a wedge issue. People won't be voting it out. And actually, it'll probably be quite popular. Yeah. Um, and so he has even though it might harm Labour nationally in the mm -hmm. short term, he's got his sort of trademark policy through. So kudos to him. Well done. He's up there with he's up there. Putin and nice. Ramaswamy. <laughs> and chances are he will just, you know, sort of sail into a third term. Yeah. So there you go. He'll win again. Yeah. He'll be at the top of the board soon. Yes. Well, it's got a while to go. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Rory, who's your loser of the My week? My loser of the week. Um, and I had I was debating. I wanted to include this person. Mm -hmm. um, this it's, it's a man. This yeah. man. Um either 
good or bad. And I wasn't really sure which way it fell, but I've, I've settled on it's a bad week for Fumio Kishida, the Japanese prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put him where put him in the gap. Putin Putin's was. gap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there he is. Um, so this is about the uh, release of the treated nuclear wastewater from the Fukushima plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my own opinions on it. Lots of people do have their own opinions on it. So I'm not saying this was a bad decision necessarily, sure. but the decision has been met with protest in Japan and in South Korea, but also China has banned imports of all Japanese seafood, um, which is pretty bad news for Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just for some extra context, the IE. I-E-A-E, A. Mm-hmm. Um, the international, oh, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> there's atomic and there's energy in there. Got it, got it. Um, they, they've said it's a safe uh, process to go through because it's all treated and diluted. Mm-hmm. And, um, but nevertheless, they have, they have, there is opposition. People are still concerned. At home and abroad. It's like, yeah. see, oh, I forget what the, the element is in the water that, that is radioactive. Is it tri- tritium? Tritium. Tritium. Yeah. But it's, it's six times lower than the uh, amount of the I-A-E a oh, God. says yeah and that's before it's diluted into yeah into the sea into the sea so it is seems pretty safe it is safe so it's he's objectively yeah. very, very so he's safe. a loser just he's a loser the because yeah, the optic, yeah. yeah i kind of wanted to make him a winner because he's doing it anyway in the, in the kind of sadiq khan sense that he's done it despite the opposition mm. but i feel like um yeah the protests and also china's response hasn't been good for him Although I think China lost that war, that you sort think? of diplomatic battle. Yeah, the consensus does seem to be that they got sort of slammed by the IEA. Yeah. And all that. <laughs> I think it's IAEA. Oh, is it? One as well, is it? International, oh, International Atomic, Atomic Energy, Energy Association. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it could would be IAEA. Yeah, anyway, and um, yeah, because the, the, the Chinese release far more radioactive mm. waste to the sea from like multiple sites every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they sort of lost that one. I also think, I'm sure, the, the seafood ban is like a bit tough. But it's we should talk about some other point. But the Japanese economy is doing astonishingly well, well by its sort of historic. It's standards. still doing well next week. Pushing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. uh, ben, who's your loser of the week? Yeah, mine is Kaya Callas. Oh, um, fair enough. You've had two inspired by TLDR videos. We had a Vivek Ramaswamy video today. I well, didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't deliberate. Them, yeah. But yeah. Sure. Well, actually, today we had Ramaswamy and Kalas as our two videos. Well, I feel Huge. like Ben's I, been watching content yesterday by the time it comes out. Oh yeah, okay. Um, that means you can still watch them yeah. on YouTube and on Netflix. You can always watch them no matter yeah. when. But yeah, um, does someone else want to go through that? I mean, I can go through it if, if you well, like. I just it's feel your like. Oh, right, yeah. Fine. Okay. So um, effectively, ben just saw a video. Who's that? You watched. You just saw <laughs> Who is she? Now? Okay. Now I need to do it to yeah. prove that I know what's going on. Um, so, in, in essence, she's tried to portray herself as a big um, advocate for Ukraine and everything, but mm-hmm. her husband's company turns out, uh, well, her husband has shares in a company that have been exporting to uh, Russia, so kind of very bad optics. Yeah. Uh, hasn't gone down particularly well um, in Estonia, so... Yeah, yeah, she yeah. is the Estonian Prime Minister. Yeah, so I should have made that clear. That, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, also, yeah, the no, first woman on the wall. Right. So yeah, I, and in the band, I didn't feel I can't great about that. The first that. woman on the wall I, is yeah. unbelievable. Such a misogynist. Zach, bad. who's so, your loser of the week? My loser of the week is Ben. If you could, it's it's <gasps> Modi. Oh, Whoa. we are yeah. a mover in the opposite direction. It is Modi, and my loser of the week. He's my loser of the week for two reasons. The first is BRICS expansion, Mm -hmm. which is something that was generally opposed by India Mm -hmm. uh, and sort of supported by China. And the fact that it has more than doubled in size, or at least has plans to double in size, 
suggests that China won that diplomatic battle. It's also worth mentioning that the fact that Iran was included on the list of potential joiners mm-hmm. also suggests that Iran, um, that India and uh, China won the diplomatic mm-hmm. battle over yeah. India because India wants BRICS to be more of a non-aligned group, whereas China sees it as a sort of anti-Western mm-hmm. counterbalance. But the other reason that Modi is down in the dumps is because the Indian government have tried to sue us. Oh, and yes. So a little bit of a vindictive <laughs> oh, yes. move down. Yeah. I hope you Are we allowed see to this, say Modi. This? Um, yeah, we're allowed to say it. Yeah, we're allowed to say it. They didn't like a map we did. I mean, a clearly stylized map we did like... 2020. 2020 in a, in a mm. video that's been... It wasn't even of, about India. No. India was mentioned. It was about nukes, wasn't it? Which yeah. countries have nukes? And we got a threatening email from the Indian government yeah. uh, saying that it, this is not in... Uh, doesn't reflect it's not, accurate data from the survey of India. Yeah, it's, it's like, not of consistent course it with their maps. Which mm-hmm. is, well, yeah. it's, I mean, it's not consistent with any official map. No, because it's, it's, a stylized the, it's so abstract, map. it's got like 20, 20 lines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So anyway. anyway, we're feeling a little bit grumpy with the Indian government at the moment. So that's, you know, that's why... If I was allowed one too, I'd also I'd double that. If well, I could double we double him? Let's double him. Double him. Let's double him. Are we actually doing it? That's a warning to That's you. That's a warning. If anyone else comes to <laughs> yeah, us with yeah. your maps, you're going to be doubled. <laughs> what? what do you, off camera, Thomas is saying it's a dangerous precedent. <laughs> How many emails do you think we're going to get? I mean, it's clearly not like an actual table. I mean, yeah. Putin is ahead of him. <laughs> the thing is, Kai Callas is, is in the, the damn thing because of her associ- p- perceived association <laughs> with Putin, <laughs> but Putin's above him. her. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Modi, I mean, if anyone else, it's a, it's a equal opportunities double. Imagine if they sue if, us for this. If anyone else <laughs> pushes, pushes us and asks us to take down videos, yeah. you're going down double. Double. We'll double you. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we've won that battle. We have won. So, <laughs> we took down the video. Anyway. <laughs> Whatever happens in court is irrelevant, as long yeah. as Modi's there. Yeah. Okay, so that's the current ranking. That's where yeah. everyone stands. Yeah. We've also obviously run through the by-election coming up. Underreported stories, predictions. What an episode. A classic. Wow. Thanks okay. for watching. Yeah. You can't yeah. call it a classic. Are we gonna-